Hey, welcome back to the new episode of the Boring Launch Podcast, where we get to talk about the stories behind launches. This episode, I chat with my buddy Steven Trombetta about his experience launching PlayStation 5 from product manager perspective. I'm your host, Raymond Arifianto. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the episode of the Boring Launch Podcast. Uh, with me, I have my good friend, Stephen Trombetta. Hey, Stephen. Hey, nice to see you. You are in New York right now. Yes, I am. Uh, New York City, Brooklyn, to be precise. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, a little bit better than being in Manhattan, which is a bit too crazy. But yeah, in New York now. Man, you've been all over the place. Last time we worked together, it was way back in, what, a decade ago? It was like 2012 in Seattle, right? Working on, on Xbox? Yeah, it is. It is a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was because you left like, what, a year before we launched Xbox One? Uh, no, actually, ship. Oh, no, yeah, you were there with us. So it was 2013 because we, yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, after the Xbox, you ship a bunch of things. I, I would love to dig in into your experience. Yeah, uh, a surprisingly large amount of hardware. Like, I went to Xbox as a, as a baby out of college, right? I, I, went, I went there in, what, 2010 after I graduated. Uh, got to see Connect ship mostly from the sidelines. I didn't get to do a whole lot on Connect on going live, but then was there for shipping of Xbox One. Got to do a ton of work on Xbox One for moving to Sony and helping ship PS4 Pro. And then I was one of the, maybe like the first 20 or 30 people to work on PlayStation 5. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I've been involved in a lot of hardware going out the door. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you have a lot of fun stories there. Yeah, absolutely. Just tons of cool things that we had to do to get things out the door. Like uh, PlayStation 5 is the most recent memory. So we mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. talk about that to start. Mm -hmm. You know, at that point, we had basically, they had figured out what the hardware was going to be, like mm -hmm. what the specs of the hardware were. But we had no idea what the software was going to be. Like we, we frankly were like, we know it needs to exist. We know there needs to be software on this thing. What are the things that are good? What are the things that are bad? What are the things we want to push for? And so we did this uh, exercise that we called the focus groups. Mm -hmm. And we kind of split a bunch of the leadership and a bunch of the people who were working on it into these groups to focus on different aspects of, of the console. So I was fortunate enough to work on the group that was called the game group. Mm -hmm. um, and our job was to figure out what are we going to do to help support our games? Right. Um, what are we going to do to help third party games, you know, reach a better audience to be out in front of things. This group, I got to, you know, interact with Shuhei Yoshida, which was an interesting experience. He fell mm -hmm. asleep only once um, <laughs> in, in one of my presentations, um, you know, interacted with Mark Cerny, got to, to kind of get into that group as we were figuring things out. And, mm -hmm. um, and that was in 2017 or 2018. I think it was mm -hmm. early 2018 that a lot of that stuff was happening. Yeah. And, and so my, my primary things that I ended up leading after that exercise, so that exercise was figure out what the hell all the possibilities of things we could go do were, well, then we had to actually do those things. Mm -hmm. um, and my primary contributions were kind of re-architecting and redesigning the online multiplayer aspect of PlayStation 5. <laughs> um, so looking at how do we help players get into sessions together? How do they send invites? How do we do that stuff efficiently? How do we make a matchmaking system that any game developer can just plug into and use without worry or pain 
um, kind of focus on that multiplayer aspect. And then as that kind of had gotten in motion, um, I invented a new feature, a new area that was called activity. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of one of the cornerstones of the console where whenever you uh, boot up a game, you can see things that you want to do within that game, like missions, levels, online multiplayer modes. And you can then interact with those directly from the system operating system to be able to jump in to interact with those things and to basically be able to say, hey, I want to play team deathmatch. Click, you're in team deathmatch and you don't need to worry about it. You know, as you are introducing this brand new feature in in your role in, in PlayStation when you're shipping this feature, I think one of the cool perks about your role is that you get to speak with a lot of game developers. Oh, tons. Over the course of kind of working on all this stuff, I got to go to pretty much every major game studio and game publisher in, in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we, we went to EA, we went to Bungie, we went to 2K. Where else did we go? We went to EA like multiple times because we also did like Respawn. Um, oh, you went to Montreal. Thing. We did we did meet up in yep, Montreal. We went, we went to Ubisoft. We went to Montreal. That's where last I saw you in person. Yeah, man. Um, up in Montreal. Did Rockstar New York, uh, who I now work for. Partially mm-hmm. because of some of those experiences, we did Bethesda uh, and Epic, which is down in in the Carolinas. So, kind of touched every corner of the continent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, got to work with all them, and, and they all have different quirks. Um, mm-hmm. It's really interesting because, like, you know, part of that experience for me was taking these ideas, like activities, which is a bit crazy of an idea, right? It's, hey, mm-hmm. game developer, give me your data about what your game does, and I'm, I promise you, I'm gonna make it a good experience for the players. Like that's, that's the pitch, right? So each studio has its own kind of quirks and different things. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those studios, Activision in particular was very Call of Duty oriented, right? Mm-hmm. It's very like, hey, this is our primary thing. They had other people in the room, but like all the questions were about Call of Duty versus, you know, some other studios like uh, WB Games had so many different games and so many different people represented within that organization. Each one was a little bit different. And I can't go into too many specifics about all of them, but the experience was really cool because you get to see how diverse this whole industry is. Not only in terms of like the people involved, Mm -hmm. but also the ideas that they have. I might go to one studio and say, hey, this is this this activities feature. We think it's going to help your game. Here's how we think it's going to help your game. And they'll say, oh, that's great. We would love to integrate with that. We think it's cool. This could make it better. And then I'll go to another one where, you know, I'm at Blizzard mm-hmm. and I'm sitting across from the executive producer of Overwatch, my, you know, my favorite game, my personal favorite game. Mm-hmm. And he looks me dead in the eye and says, this is useless. <laughs> <laughs> He says, you're just recreating our menu in your menu. That's useless. And, you know, it's, you know, it really depended on the studio and their culture and how they feel about their game and the platform and their, their experiences with those things that really affected how those conversations would go. (laughs) Some positive, some negative. And it was very interesting to kind of walk through those experiences. You mentioned that right now you work in Rockstar New York, right? Yes, sir. And that, you know, gaming is such a, a big industry, but it's also a small industry because, you know, yes. you know, you know people and people just move around basically. Speaking of which, you know, before we start the recording, it's like we, we just actually just realized that we have a common friend, right? Yep. Finn that was yes. in WB. is like, you said that like you have a story about him. Tell me about Finn. <laughs> We gotta uh, call Finn's him out now. <laughs> Finn's, Finn's a good dude. Um, so we were at we were at WB Games, um, and we were pitching PlayStation Five. Right, we were like, "Hey, here's all the things that we can do." Right, and and again, I said it was a very big table. That that particular one, they had about 25, 30 people in the room. 
mm-hmm. could kind of compare that with Activision had six people in the room, right? Like mm-hmm. it was every company was a little bit different, sure. but Finn was there and he was by far the most direct in his feedback. <laughs> you know, I'd get up there and I was explaining, you know, the, the, the feature, how it worked, how it operated. And he's like, you're insane. Why, yeah. why you're, you're asking me to basically into our code of every single game mm-hmm. and to put hooks to give you data at all these different points. Um, and he's like, it's insane. There's no way this is going to work. And we kind of went back and forth. I was like, no, it's actually kind of easy. And here's how it can be easy. And we, you mm-hmm. know, we had this mm-hmm. back and forth. Mm-hmm. Well, we got through that. It was cool. We, we finished the meeting about six months later, we were having our big uh, PlayStation developer conference, which is called, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. De- uh, it was called dev summit at the time mm-hmm. down in San Diego. And I'm sitting at the bar. Okay. And I, you know, I'm a couple drinks deep. <laughs> I had just, I had just presented like two or three presentations earlier that day, each one for about an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finn comes up behind me, fucking slams his beer on the table, looks at me and he goes, let's talk about that some more. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't let it go. He couldn't let it go. He was just like, he was like, I want, and, and it was a great conversation because he was, mm-hmm. you know, very adamant. Like he's like, I want this to be good because I see the potential in it. I Mm -hmm. see the value of doing something where we provide our data to the platform that the platform does something interesting. He's like, it's just the way you've set it up is too hard. (laughs) (laughs) There's too many steps. There's too much going on. You need to simplify it. And we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for, you know, hours as we were just putting beers back. I don't remember the end of the conversation because uh, that man can drink me under the table. Uh, there are a few people who can. There He's are Irish. Who He's can. Irish. He is Irish. I have a little Irish in me. Like I got a red beer oh, and stuff. Like, you know, there's right. a little bit of Irish in me too. But no, he drank me under the table. Um, and then, uh, you know, the next day he came up and was like, so... Did you think about what we talked about? <laughs> he wasn't going to let it go. Um, and that's one of the things that you'll find about people in, in, in the gaming industry. And they are passionate people and they care about what, what you know, the experience that the players go through. Mm-hmm. If I had those types of conversations, like if I flipped over and was, I was working at Facebook and I was working with a, you know, a dev for Hulu or you know, whatever they'd be like, yeah, that's whatever, man, whatever you do, we'll use. I don't care. Game developers are not like that. Um, and it leads to some interesting experiences when you're building things. Cause it's like, we built this crazy thing and we needed their support, but it was too hard. And mm-hmm. they were going to tell us why it was too hard and why mm-hmm. it was going to be a bad experience for our players because it was too hard. Right. And Finn is, is one of the people who is, is most open about that. But you know, it's common across the games industry that that, that passion bleeds through, which, you know, really helps the products sing in the end. Right. You know, the way I see it, platforms will always try to come up with their own special sauce, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, something that differentiates the experience. Yep. Like mm-hmm. sometimes the the game studios will try to make sure that it's a consistent experience throughout all yep. the all the platforms, yep. right? So it, that that leads into uh, interesting challenges. Oh. Yeah, and it's interesting now that, now that I'm on the game developer side mm-hmm. uh, over here at Rockstar, I have to kind of reorient my brain a bit because you know some of those things, like you know, take the activities feature for example. It is unique yeah. to PlayStation. Only PlayStation has done it. Right. What's funny is I used to tell my colleagues at PlayStation, I said the best thing that can happen with this feature is that Xbox copies us. Yeah, uh, because mm-hmm. then it's on both, and then developers are just like, "Well, it's on both. We'll just mm-hmm. make it consistent across both." Mm-hmm. A similar thing happened with achievements and trophies. Achievement trophies right? yeah. Like yeah. you know, once it was copied by PlayStation, it was cemented. It mm-hmm. was never going to go away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the game side, the platform side, is really interesting because it didn't come from a lot of the stuff on PlayStation Five didn't come from a desire to be different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't saying, well, this is going to be a competitive advantage over Xbox. It's going to be a competitive advantage over anybody. It started from a conversation of what can this hardware do <laughs> that our previous hardware couldn't do? Mm-hmm. And what things can we build around it to make this hardware sync? <laughs> and it's that's the entirety of the conversation. It's never a point like, well, can Xbox replicate this? To be honest, Xbox can replicate everything PlayStation does. Mm-hmm. And PlayStation can replicate everything Xbox does. It's a choice. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. a fundamental choice um, that they, they make to either copy or not copy each other. Mm-hmm. And when it came to like the activities feature that came out of the idea that we have this extremely fast hardware, Mm -hmm. right? We're talking, you know, the fact that you could click a game and be in it in less than a second Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, is absolutely astronomical, right? In terms of what it, what it enables. Well, when we started to look at how games are architected, we started to realize we can now load the game faster (laughs) than these menus would take to get through. And so the idea of launching a game, clicking start, clicking the the mode you want, Mm -hmm. selecting your character, et cetera, Mm -hmm. was just such a longer time than just what we, how we could load that experience. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being able to deep link two things, Yep became extremely appealing because suddenly it's not, you know, the hardware's not an issue anymore. Yep. It's, it's always been the hardware and the spinning disc has been an issue. It's gone now. Yep. So how do we expedite the players, what we like to call internally at PlayStation, time to game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is the amount of time it takes to get from, you know, the system, turning it on to actually enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was what that was all built around. That's that's awesome. Like I'll tell you this, uh, at the level of of you know, I was a senior manager at at PlayStation. Mm-hmm. At my level, Xbox is never mentioned. Really? It's it's they don't care. They like Xbox is is a non-factor because they're going to build their hardware, mm-hmm. we're going to build our hardware. There's only one competitor. So focusing so much on them puts us into a bind because we we give ourselves walls mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. talk about our competitors. Right. Mm -hmm. When you focus on how do we make our stuff the best instead of how can we be better than the other guy, you make better things. Uh, (laughs) At least that's how I I think about it. And I think that kind of shines through with how PlayStation, like the feel that people get when they use the product, right? Mm -hmm. They feel that it is made for them, that it is, you know, a a powerful, smart machine and it's tailored to their, what they care about, not a checklist of features. Like there are more features on PlayStation than anybody will use. <laughs> There's too, it's too many. There's too many damn things. Um, and that's true across PlayStation. That's true across Xbox. There are too many features. And so checking a box that, oh, we have this thing that they don't have. Nobody cares. Right. It's not, it's not, it's not part of that conversation, at least at the levels that I operate. And I think like ultimately also like the, the, the most important thing is, is, is how to convince the game developers to use the features to, to the best. Like, you know, like, like, it's you know, hard. simple things like adaptive trigger, which is just one of the yeah. mind blowing things that like you guys. It's, it's amazing. The, the adaptive triggers, my, my boss, uh, while I was at, at PlayStation, Toshimasa Aoki, that was his, one of his big contributions to, to PlayStation 5 was the adaptive triggers. And they're fantastic. If you have not used a PlayStation 5, anybody listening <laughs> has not used a PlayStation 5 and felt it, it is game changing. It, it almost, you almost feel like you're playing a, a wholly different experience just because of the way the controller feels. But yeah, like going to game developers and saying, hey, can you do this thing? 
can you help us, you know, to, to make this a really special experience? Almost all of the game developers are a bit skeptical at first. They're like, you're asking me to do new work. Mm-hmm. I only have a limited amount of resources. I don't want to do new work. Yep. So, so the way that we sold developers on using this, which is why most of the games use it on PlayStation 5, even though it's been a chore to get them to sign up to use it, is we built a prototype. We <laughs> built a, a, it looked like a kind of fat PS4 controller. Mm-hmm. And in that thing was the all the hardware that, that made the adaptive triggers work in the final version of the controller. And we had this demo that we got uh, the Asobi team over in, in Japan uh, to make. They're the guys who did AstroBots. They're, they're all, some of the most creative people you will ever meet. And they built these, these things where it was like uh, just little mini demos of how that controller could feel in your hands. Um, and so they had these these demos where they had like shotguns and you know you when you press the trigger it kind of gets tight and then click mm-hmm. and then tighten and click um, and it feels good then a bow and arrow where it's kind of got a draw feel where yep. it's slightly you know harder to pull as you go you know they had a, a bunch of different you know uses of the rumble to make it feel like you were they had this little this little ball mm-hmm. it was like this little happy face ball mm-hmm. and it would roll over different uh, materials mm-hmm. um, and it would it would basically vibrate your hand to feel like you were running your hand over that same material. So it's like, it had like an alligator skin one and you felt like your hand was going over alligator skin. The the fidelity of it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So the easiest way to sell to a game developer was to Just hand to them it. that controller and that demo. Yep. And they get excited. And they're like, oh, all these ideas, all these ideas. Now there's still going to be some game developers that are like, it's too much work. I don't want to deal with it. Sure. And that's true across all the features for for all the platforms, right? This is part of why I say there's too many features is anything that targets a game developer to do work is difficult to get them to do mm-hmm. because you have to prove to them that it is worth their time and money. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's almost impossible to do that. <laughs> and so that's part of what first parties value is to the various platforms is first party is going to use all those features. Yep. They're First gonna, party is going to show, exactly. They're going to showcase those things. So one of the things we did at PlayStation that was a lot of fun was that whenever we'd go talk to a game studio, <laughs> we'd bring a pile of discs for games that are first party games yep. and we would hand them out. We'd be like, oh, have you played Spider-Man yet? No, here's a copy. Hmm. Oh, have you played, you know, hmm. Horizon Zero Dawn yet? Oh no, here's a copy. Hmm. Um, and we do that because it, it was a way to get developers exposed to the features and stuff that the platform provides through those showcases. Yep. And then the developers could, you know, at home go, Oh, that's really cool. We want to use that. So that was a fun tactic to use. Give them ideas. Uh, yeah. It's like, it, you know, giving someone something free, they're going to try it. And yeah. if it's really good, they're going to want to replicate it in some way. They're going to try to do those things. So of course. it was always fun to like, show up <laughs> there was one time at Bungie mm-hmm. we showed up and our account manager who worked with Bungie he had a bag full of Spider-Man <laughs> like Spider-Man PS4 and fucking opens the bag and just dumps it on the table anybody want one he's like Oprah he's like you got Spider-Man you got Spider-Man <laughs> you get Spider-Man you get Spider-Man you get Spider-Man it is great because you know the game director for Destiny is sitting right there and he's just kind of like I don't have a copy nah. yoink <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that you did when you were working at PlayStation is that you travel every month. Oh, yes. Most of it is going to Japan, right? So most like, of it was in Japan. Super yeah. quick here is like, what is the craziest thing in or outside of work that you've experienced when, you're, when you travel to Japan? Oh, there's a lot of stuff I can't talk about on a podcast. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Japan's a really interesting place. 
there's hard to pick a singular experience in Japan, but one of the things that is, is big about Japanese culture that is very much evident within, within Sony and PlayStation mm-hmm. is how decisions get made. Cause it's not the way that they do in America. In America, you make a decision because everybody gets in a room and fight over it. And who's ever loudest with, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes it's a little bit more, uh, it's who's more senior wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how you make decisions in, in the United States when it comes to work in Japan. It's not that case in Japan. Japan, it is very much a consensus culture um, and very much a council culture in, in the way that say I go over there with an idea and I want to build this thing. I think this is the thing that we should go do. I can't just have a meeting and say, guys, let's agree to go do this because <laughs> uh, that will get me nowhere. I have to go and have a meeting with each of the various leaders on the <laughs> developer side, on the product side, on the QA side, et cetera, and talk about here's the thing I want to do. Here's why it's important. I need to sell each of them individually. <laughs> if I don't, then one of them is going to dissent. in a big meeting and it's going to die because if one person says no, it usually means no. And so you have to go around and kind of talk to each of them and kind of get everybody's buy-in and then have the meeting. And the meeting is a pure pageant show because you've already made the decision with all these people. You've already had the conversation with every single one of them. They've all said yes, Mm -hmm. but it's there to be a pageant show for everyone to say, yes, we are doing this together moving forward. It took me so long to figure that out. And there's also the, the shadow smoke room. Um, the shadow where, smoke room it sounds ominous so a lot of times a lot of times we'd have these meetings right and we'd talk about what we're gonna what we're gonna build or you know how things are going and then the meeting would end about five minutes early mm-hmm. and then a couple of the, the Japanese leaders uh, would say we're taking a smoke mm-hmm. and they would go like two or three of them the, you know generally the most senior guys in the room mm-hmm. they'd go down there <laughs> they'd smoke like half a pack of cigarettes over the next 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes, and they would discuss what the meeting was about and make the real decision. Uh-huh. And then they'd come back up and be like, yeah, we just talked about it. This is what we're going to do. Nice. Um, nice. And it just happened in the smoking room. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was, that's, <laughs> I like to joke that that's why they all smoke is just so they can be involved in the decision. That, that is, not that they that like is smoking. That, that reminded uh, me like in Sweden, like all decisions are actually done in the, in the informal fika, which is the coffee break. So, oh, in the coffee break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very similar in Japan in terms of it's at the smoke room instead. Yeah. Oh, but man, the, Japan is so much fun. I, I, uh, <laughs> it was amazing going there, but after going there once a month, uh, for well over a year, mm-hmm. um, I had spent, I took 30 trips to Japan over my, my six and a half years at, at Sony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mind you, the last year and a half was pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like, it's really in four years, mm-hmm. four or five years, I, I 30 trips to Japan. It gets mind numbing having to do that many trips um, and to be on a plane for that long. That's great. I, I finally, I finally achieved status mm-hmm. where I was getting upgraded every time because yeah. I was flying the same people every time yeah. and the pandemic hit. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. I got like one trip in business class. Um, <laughs> we used to have a lot of fun on Tuesday and Wednesday nights in Japan, finishing work at about eight or 9 PM as you do in Japan mm-hmm. and going straight to the bar and drinking till last train. And then invariably somebody would miss the last train. And so we'd have a couple more drinks. Uh, and then they'd take a cab home and then I'd show up to work the next day, just completely hungover, just absolutely like can barely see straight hungover. And a lot of fun on Tuesday and Wednesday nights in Tokyo. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what makes things fun. All right. So huge gaming, like that's your side yeah. project. Tell me more about it, dude. So story, I'll give you a little story background yep. to it. Mm-hmm. I had started streaming about three months before the pandemic hit. I had kind of gotten into it, got excited about putting my myself out there on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash alternagod1, um, if any of you are interested in checking out. I'll put the link um, in. 
Yeah, put the link the link in there for me. Thank you. Um, I started streaming about two or three months before the pandemic because it was something interesting to try out and do. Well, then the pandemic hit and I was like, what the hell else am I going to do? So I was streaming like every night, every night. And I was growing at a, a decent enough clip. I made affiliate. I started, you know, doing that sort of thing. And it hit me about a year ago that I wanted to do more. I wanted, you know, I had a bunch of friends that I had met through streaming and who are also streamers. And I found that they were all doing it alone. They were all kind of trying to figure it out in their self. So I said, there's no organization out there for small streamers. Mm -hmm. There's nobody out there trying to help streamers who stream to five concurrent users. Mm -hmm. All these orgs are like, please get super famous and popular mm -hmm. and then we'll help you. Yep. You know, the, the hundred thieves out there, the misfits, all these different game content creation groups. And I, I was like, why, why is that? Why don't you want to be on the ground floor to help people discover the, the maximum that they can get to in terms of their content creation? So um, I started Huge Gaming as a community of streamers um, that, that are kind of partnered together to create content both on their own and together and to kind of pool resources to help them to, to achieve their goals within that. Mm -hmm. uh, we currently have, I believe, six partnered streamers. They average between, you know, five concurrent viewers mm -hmm. all the way up to about 15 mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. concurrent viewers. So they're, you know, in the small streamer range. Followers range from a couple hundred to uh, almost 2,000 for, mm -hmm. for our largest streamer. Mm -hmm. But we all work together and we plan together and we do stuff together. We have a Discord mm -hmm. um, for both ourselves to, to interact with each mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. in, but also to interact with our various communities. We try to get as many of our, our various viewers and, and fans into that uh, discord so we can kind of, you know, it's it's a law of, you know, growth, right? If we have more- It's the people, network effect, right? Exactly. The network effect, right? So getting everybody into and kind of building around this one entity helps everybody grow. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been fairly successful. Some of our streamers, uh, Mocha Gaming, uh, she's done fantastic. She's been growing a lot. She's been streaming every day. She does great work. Keegan, one of our other streamers, he's starting to do his own podcast live on stream mm -hmm. and he's been growing and, and kind of evolving his his content over time. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that we kind of get clips out on regularly to try to, you know, drum up some interest there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do weekly community nights every Saturday night from 8 p.m. Eastern time. We get together, we play a game together and we invite the entire community to show up and play. Uh, tonight we're doing Valorant. We're going to do some Valorant pickup games. It's oh. going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, we usually do a rotation of like, overwatch pickup games mm -hmm. then the next week valorant pickup games then the next week will be kind of a party game that anybody can participate in and we kind of follow that rotation it's been pretty good people seem to be enjoying it we get we get on average between you know 12 and, and 25 people to show up for those weekly mm -hmm. and so those have been then really good but it's it's something i'm really passionate about i i I have felt the pain of trying to grow a stream alone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's really hard. There's not much help out there for you. So trying to be a place to give small streamers help and to help them uh, give them a community to build themselves around um, has been, it's been super fun. And we are, we are recruiting new streamers. If anybody is interested, they're a small streamer and they want to get um, some help in growing and they want to kind of, uh, partner up with us feel free to join our discord you know huge gaming you can find links we're on we're on twitter just search huge gaming you'll find us we have a cool little yellow dinosaur icon and you can join the discord and and you know talk to me and get see if you can figure out a way to get your partnered and and part of the community all right i'll, I'll put all the links out and yeah i mean that, that sounds like a cool initiative so Kudos to all of you guys. And yeah, if, if you guys are listening to this and you guys are, are interested to uh, check them out, check out the link. All right, dude. Uh, well, thank you so much for 
stopping by to the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I I miss chatting with you. It's been it's been a while. Yeah, we should make this a regular thing, not necessarily even on the the podcast. I'd love to talk to you more often. But yeah, dude, I I appreciate having me on. I appreciate asking me such interesting questions. And yeah, like this is an awesome industry and an awesome thing to work on. And and I'm you know happy to talk about it anytime. Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As promised, I'll be posting in the link to Steven's huge gaming community, so you should check it out. Also, if you want to catch some of the older episodes of the Boring Launch podcast, visit the website boringlaunch.gg or wherever you get podcasts. Hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.